The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Housing starts month-to-month down 9.6%. It's been... You know, really during this entire pandemic, the, the one area of the economy that just powered on from day one was the housing market, uh, now seeing a little bit of uh, challenges out there in terms of higher interest rates and just other macro trends. But let's get the latest on what's going on in the world of construction, housing construction, residential construction. Peter Jackson, Chief Financial Officer of Builders First Choice. That is a New York Stock Exchange listed company, BLDR is a ticker you put into your Bloomberg terminal. Uh, it's got about a $10.7 billion market cap here. It's off a couple, off a couple of percent today uh, at $68.25 per share. Peter, thanks so much for joining us here. We saw that housing start data here. We'd love for you to just provide us kind of from your perspective of your company, kind of how are you view, viewing the housing market today? Yeah, good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for having me on. Um, you know, this market has been really amazing for quite a long run. And Q2 for us, we were really hitting on all cylinders, certainly seeing nice volumes, pricing, good volume, at a broad swath of the products that we sell. So it's certainly been a, a very nice um, trend over the recent past. But certainly we've been watching it the same way you have. And, and the impacts of interest rates and, and inflation have started to have an impact on consumers. Now, we've been buffered a bit, certainly because of the units under construction. But we've seen a bit of that pause, you know, some some lower end, maybe first time buyers getting priced out, but also some thoughtfulness by home buyers and, and a, I'd say maybe a prudent reaction by home builders to be thoughtful about how many homes are being built and what they're going to purchase those uh, at what prices. So how much damage is the Federal Reserve doing to this housing market? Well, they're an important component, no doubt. Um, you can't move mortgage rates that much without having a tempering impact. Um, certainly, we've, we've had an impact as a result of inflation. You know, broadly speaking, building product costs have gone up quite a bit. And that combination has, has certainly slowed things down. But there's no question that capacity on the supply side have limited the available products, uh, you know, the available homes. And demand has really held up quite strong. We're confident in that demand in the mid to long term, even if buyers are taking a pause right now. You know, on the uh, you guys employ about 28,000 employees. That's what we show here on the Bloomberg Terminal. Talk to us about labor and getting people on the, you know, it, it, for your company, it's just that we see it across the board. Companies really, really challenged in terms of labor. What's it like in your business? Yeah, you're right. It's challenging for us, too. You know, there's always a challenge to find great people. There's a challenge to fill roles that are um, critical to the business. Things like uh, roles like drivers, uh, roles like you know fabricators and a lot of our manufactured product facilities. And there's a lot of competition out there for that type.
type of excellence throughout the industry, right? And, and broader than our industry. We continue to find ways to, you know, lure people in, right? Looking for performance opportunities. We, we compensate very well. I think the opportunity to be part of the American dream certainly has an allure. Um, you know, even if it maybe has some dark days at certain points, I think overall it's still a great industry to be in. And we continue to be able to recruit. Can you get uh, – is the stronger dollar helping you out in terms of costs for um, commodities? You know, most of what we do in commodities is domestic. You know, there's a bit that comes in from Canada. Right. Certainly probably about 20% of the wood that we that we use in this country comes from Canada. But most of it, most of it's domestic, so not that much impact from currency. You know, it's interesting. We think about the housing market in the U.S., uh, Peter, and people say there's a, there's a real shortage there. And I think, you know, as I as I think about some of the you know the home building companies we talk to, you know, they talk about you know building these McMansions, if you will, because that's where the margin is. But how about you know in some of the starter homes? Are you what kind of activity are you seeing there in terms of some of the entry level? Buildings. I think about some of these markets that are just exploding in the last couple of years, like in Austin, Texas, for example. They got to have some kind of starter homes, don't they? You're absolutely right. Yeah, starter homes has been a challenge, right? It's the it's the opportunity to allow people to take advantage of that American dream, and it's a challenge because they're they're smaller, right? There's less dollars available. There's less opportunity for margin. But I think home builders have made really good progress in creating offerings that make sense for people in that category, right? That are, you know, a bit smaller, maybe a bit simpler to build, fewer options. But certainly, you know, some of the large builders have really committed to it. And we see them staying committed to it, you know, even in a bit of a downturn like this. And I think you'll see more of that into the future because it is a critical part. Um, that's not to say we don't like building the bigger houses. Sure. Certainly, you know, a good way I'm to build the higher margins. Um, <laughs> leave, leave the starter houses to Paul and his company. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Peter, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate getting uh, your thoughts there. Peter Jackson, he's the chief financial officer for Builders First Source. That is a New York Stock Exchange company. BLDR is a ticker you can put into your Bloomberg uh, terminal. They're based in Dallas, Texas, uh, doing the home building stuff. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. 
Visit Bloomberg.com slash Enterprise Data to learn more. You know what? I, I don't know. Call me a glass half full kind of person, but we had some some pretty good jobs numbers a couple weeks ago. Inflation coming in a little bit better than expected. Maybe that's, you know, uh, kind of peaking. Um, one can make the argument that, you know, things aren't so bad out there that the Fed, you know, may not have to be as aggressive as we originally thought. That's kind of what some of the equity markets have been telling us over the last four or five weeks. Um, but let's check with somebody who does this stuff for a living. Ben Emmons, Managing Director of Global Macro Strategy at Medley Global Advisors, joins us live here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. So, Ben, you know, again, I'm going to be a half a glass half full person. It seems pretty good out there. Can my Federal Reserve maybe not be as aggressive in raising rates as maybe we originally thought? Good morning, Paul and Matt. It's great to be here. Um, well, I, I think we want to be cautious there because, you know, the inflation story isn't done. I think that's what, what the equity market may have been assuming is that as we started to turn in commodity prices around the mid-June and that now coming through headline inflation and, you know, Master and... Um, uh, Brainerd had guided the markets earlier saying, okay, we want to see decline in headline inflation every month and then we'll maybe change our course. That the markets listen too much to that, that the inflation picture isn't so changing just yet. And I, I take note of like the gas prices in Europe spiking again, in Asia spiking again. Uh, Canadian inflation much stronger than expected hmm. this morning, which is by the way uh, affects our inflation. So I, I think you want to be somewhat cautious on that the Fed is just turning his course here. The communication has come out, obviously, it's clear about what we want to try to reach 4% of uh, Fed funds rate, maybe higher. They're pushing back, and the market hasn't listened so far to that, and that's what everybody's looking at. There's a big divergence again. But I, th I think the inflation pressure is, is not abating such that we're in a, let's say, automatic descent in inflation the next months ahead. Right, and if they go 50 instead of 75, isn't that a signal that they're soft? You could take it that way, yeah. Uh, you know, it, I will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could think about it like, okay, they're, they're, they are moderating their tightening pace. As Paul has said, at some point they would do that. Um, so it's a bit of a toss still here, right? The, the market is actually priced right in the middle of 50 and 75 for September. I think there is caution markets and the interest rate side at least thinking you can't take your chances that they may have to move 75 to be sure that inflation is indeed in this descent lower from here. So... I think uh, the Fed is, is still in a tough position, definitely given the the commodity picture that's not like completely changed. Uh, I'm watching, for example, what's happening in Europe. Yep. All right. So FOMC meeting minutes tomorrow at 2 p.m. Wall Street time. My natural inclination is to ignore it. I probably shouldn't ignore it tomorrow, should I? I no, should pay a little bit of attention. You should always pay attention to it, no oh, matter what. Man. <laughs> this, by the way, it was very interesting discussions in there and information. Of course, this is the July meeting. They were t debating the pace of tightening there. That will be in there. They were debating there maybe even the balance sheet uh, and the outlook. Um, I think it will be much about what we saw in that press conference and what has come out so far since the press conference by the likes of Kaskari and Bollard and Mester and others. Everyone is still on the same to uh, camp of about we move we have to keep moving with rates we can't stop right that's clearly we can maybe even slow down we can certainly not say with the market's price from going from 75 say in september if that's the case to 25 in november that's probably not likely either so i think a lot of that will be in the minutes tomorrow the market reaction mm -hmm. may be well, muted because it's it, a lot of us communicated out there but everybody's kind of edgy here, I think, still, about these surprises, right? Whether it's the minutes or the, or the Jackson Hole coming up. You mentioned the balance sheet. 
what do you see when you look under the hood? You know, Paul and I just know about the headline rate, but there's a lot of other things that the Fed do, the discount window and money supply. And what, what are they doing that um, may be affecting financial conditions? Because they're certainly not bringing them down, you know? No, and the financial conditions of late have been particularly influenced by real interest rates, right? Where at least in July when they were falling as much, to come up a bit from, from since then. Um, yeah, the balance sheet is about an asset and liability side, as an accounting entity. If you think about the liability side in particular, you have reverse repos and you have these reserves. And there's a lot of analysis out there of how the Fed is going to manage the two. Because the 2018 experience was about money center banks, the big banks, hoarding, quote unquote, reserves as the economy started to change, as they got more cautious, as they started to see that the Fed was further and further withdrawing liquidity from the system. I think that's still a, a risk to markets in the sense of we got repo disruptions from that, but there's also an effect on the economy in itself. If banks hoard reserves, they're not lending as much, credit is being more constrained. That's one thing under the hood of the balance sheet, I think, to pay attention to. The other part is that reverse repo facility that's so bloated because there's so limited supply of T-bills at the moment that can change. I've always thought about that as a low-hanging fruit for the Fed to unwind that first and leave reserves alone and then manage the asset side. If that's the case, then it's a more benign uh, uh, strategy for markets in terms of the balance sheet. Some say that that's maybe the direction we're heading. At the end of the day, the balance sheet is going to contract. And I think when Barkin was on the other day in one of the networks, he said that like, it, the balance sheet and, and rate hikes are symmetric. So in other words, we're going to continue to wind it down by 95 billion a month, and we're going to keep raising rates. That's, I think, in, in, a view within the Fed that's more broadly held. That's what they want to stay on, on that course. All right, Ben, we appreciate you coming to our studios here, here at 58th Street. Is your firm based at One World Trade? World Trade Center, yeah, yeah. What's it like? What's the One World Trade Center building like? I've not been in it. It's fantastic. It's like brand new, really hyper-modern building. I went all the way up to the, the upper floor. Right. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, it's really nice. Like, yeah. Is anybody in it? Yeah, yeah. There's a fair bit of... What's it like down in Lower Manhattan? I haven't been down there in a long time. On a weekday, a work day, is there, are there people there? I mean, we, we, we look at the Pret Index, which <laughs> manages traffic. You know, yeah. What's it like downtown on a weekday? It's, it, I think it's fairly busy there. I have, I've, you know, you can tell people are definitely behind, you know, past the pandemic. Yep. No masks. Everybody's right. like, you know, walking around. I, I, it's not fully back to full occupancy. That's clear. Even I own an office there, not fully occupied. Right. Um, maybe the after Labor Day, they, they want to change that, right? Or are there tourists coming back? I've definitely seen that. Uh, tourism, even in Midtown here, you know, right. that's, that's happening. See, so. Matt, you got to get the, the man on the ground uh, kind of view, because I don't get the downtown. We could just go down there. We could just yeah, do that. Yeah. But I mean, we just, you know, I kind of kind of go back and forth to the Bloomberg HQ, but you wonder about what's different parts of the city. And downtown, you know, um, the new Seven World Trade, that's where I worked when I was at Solomon Brothers, the old Seven World Trade. Yeah. Uh, the One World Trade, they got the, the whole, and a couple of towers are up and running and looks yeah. just so, awesome down there. And the Oculus and everything. Yeah. I mean, the rebuilding of Lower Manhattan, folks, if you haven't been to the city really in nice. a while, go down to Lower Manhattan. The rebuilding there has just been awesome, uh, anchored by One World Trade Center, which is just an awesome building. And uh, and Ben Emmons, Managing Director, Global Macro Strategy at Medley Global Advisors. Uh, Med that's where Medley is. They're based in One World Trade Center, 47th floor. So uh, we appreciate Ben coming into our Bloomberg Interactive Studios here in Midtown. 
uh, Manhattan. Uh, folks out and about Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays. This city's pretty bustling. All right, we had some retailers report. Uh, Home Depot, uh, stock's up 4% today. Walmart, uh, a little bit better than expected, although they lowered their expect their forecast twice. Uh, but that stock's up 5% today. But we've got somebody who does uh, follow these uh, big retailers. Jen Bartash is Senior Equity Research Analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. Jen, you joined Bloomberg in 2002. This is 20 years for you. It's been a long time, that's for sure, Paul. Nice. And Jen's had leadership positions all throughout Bloomberg and you know, maybe 10 years ago, we, we enticed her to join Bloomberg Intelligence. And since then, she's built this great franchise looking at some of these big retailers here. Uh, and we appreciate Jen's research at BI Go. Jen, talk to us about Home Depot, Walmart, maybe what you expect from Target tomorrow. What are some of the takeaways from these uh, retailers? Well, uh, thanks, Paul. You know, when I look at these big retailers, I think some of the, the big takeaways are that uh, things are maybe not as bad as everyone was thinking. Um, and that the, these retailers, especially Walmart uh, in particular, is, is really getting better at managing their supply chain. Um, and that's helping to smooth things out throughout the entire business. Um, and so it, it does give a little bit of confidence that the second half of this year may actually turn out to be better than we initially anticipated, especially for retailers that cater to kind of the lower income to middle income consumer. So, Jen, you know, one of the things that uh, we had learned over the past several quarters is some of the retailers had some bloated inventories, and that was kind of impacting their margins as they had to cut price to kind of move that inventory. Is that still an issue? It is definitely still an issue. Um, we, we heard Walmart talk about it this morning, but uh, more importantly, when we're looking and turning it to look at Target for tomorrow, um, you know, Target had a slightly different approach to handling their inventory than Walmart in that they were choosing to sort of rip the Band-Aid off and try to shed as much of their inventory in the second quarter as possible. Um, and so they were really looking to cull that. They were canceling some future orders in order to right-size their inventory. Um, and that does mean that their, their profit will be sig significantly crimped tomorrow. Um, but if, if the consumer is behaving a little bit better than expected, there may be a slight surprise for Target tomorrow on the upside. So what's the um, deal with the inventory issues that Walmart has uh, been having? Target had had them as well. Do you think they're going to fare just as poorly as Walmart on the home goods and electronics side? Well, you know, home goods and electronics are, are certainly two of the areas um, where Target actually has a little more exposure, even than Walmart is on apparel, um, because they are so strong in, in apparel. And you know, this is the time when they're selling through their excess summer inventory, when they're trying to clear out seasonal merchandise. Um, and so the discounting that's been happening is, is higher than it usually is at this time of year because of that excess inventory. So, you know, the good news is that if they were successful in actually uh, canceling orders, and Walmart mentioned this morning that they also canceled a lot of orders to sort of right-size inventory, then they should be set up, you know, pretty well for the second half of the year. All right, Jen, it's mid-August. The last thing I want to think about are the holidays, but I know you retail analyst people, you do in <laughs> fact think about that at this time. So it, it, what are the retailers telling you about the back to school and the holiday season? Do they think it's going to be good, bad, or indifferent? Well, right now we're in the midst of back to school. Um, it seems that it will be a fairly solid season. Um, it's probably not going to be stellar, um, but, but fairly solid. Um, but when you look at a holiday um, it's it's looking a little better than it did even a month ago. Um, you know, as these retailers are, are showing 
that, that they're able to, to work through some of their supply chain issues, um, that, that gives a little bit of confidence. But, but more importantly, um, on the macro side, we're seeing fuel prices come down. We're seeing food inflation start to stabilize in, in some categories. And that means that you know the consumer pivoted very quickly when those costs escalated. And if the consumer pivots back just as quickly as those costs come down, that could really set us up for a, a nice, strong holiday season this fall. Jen, I know you also follow the supermarket business. Talk to us about the cost of food. Kind of where are we? How do the supermarkets think it's going to trend over the next several months? I know you're pretty close to that industry. Yeah, and, you know, food inflation is is slowly starting to stabilize. Um, but the the issue that we really have is that the packaged food companies are still struggling to control their costs, and that means that they're passing through still. Uh, additional price increases to the retailers. And for the retailers then, like the Kroger's of the world or the Albertsons of the world, and Walmart, for that matter, who sells a lot of groceries, um, it's very hard to, to not then pass prices on to consumers. And so there's a there's a lag effect that, you know, when the actual commodity prices come down, it takes time to move through that whole food chain from the manufacturers through, the, through to the retailers and then to the consumer before we see some relief. And so, you know, when we look out towards the end of the year, we see food inflation remaining elevated until we get into the early 2023, um, but it should become more manageable as the year progresses. All right. So the stock, does it recover to the highs that we saw before the profit warning? Uh, You're meaning Target? Um, No, I'm talking about Walmart, but in, in general retailers, I mean, do they come back? Well, I think that if, if we have a good uh, back-to-school season that will create a lot of confidence in terms of investors for the, the holiday season, um, I don't know that we'll recapture everything that was lost um, year-to-date, um, given given the challenges that they've had. But there's certainly some cause for some optimism as we look towards the end of the year. And Jen, just real quickly, 30 seconds, are people going to the stores? So when I look at the Walmart earnings, this hard target earnings, is that e-commerce? Is that people going to the stores? Where are we on that trend? Yeah, people are definitely going back into stores more. Um, and actually, one of the things that, that differentiates Target uh, above Walmart is the traffic that they bring into stores. Um, they historically outpace Walmart by a huge margin in terms of traffic growth. Um, so e-commerce is still continuing to grow, um, but people are a lot more comfortable being out and about. Um, and so visits into stores is, is pretty strong, and it's you know supporting people buying those impulse purchases when they're in the store as well. All right, Jen, good stuff as always. We can ask Jen anything about retail, and she's got uh, an informed opinion. Jen Bartash is senior equity research analyst. She covers consumer staples, retail, but basically we just bring her on to talk anything retail for Bloomberg Intelligence, really one of our leaders uh, at Bloomberg Intelligence. We appreciate getting some of her time. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. 
What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. All right, let's talk eco-friendly products, green products in the household. I'm talking consumer products. Allison Rittner, CEO of 7th Generation, joins us. Allison, thanks so much for taking the time here. Uh, I'd love to just start by... I think it's Reitner. You're right. It's Reitner. And I had well, to pronounce let's, let's, let's say Allison correct. Yeah, Allison, how do we pronounce your last name? You got it. It's Reitner. Thank you. Okay, very good. I'll, I'll get it. 7th Generation. Tell us about what 7th Generation is. What are you guys doing? Yeah, great. So we're a company that for more than 30 years has been on a mission to transform the world into a healthy, sustainable, and equitable place for the next seven generations. And we do that by way of household cleaning products. And so we really invest um, in making sure we have the most sustainable plant-based products and market. And that allows us then to invest back into advocacy work. Um, so work that we do uh, with our partners to make sure that we're standing up for the climate crisis and making sure that we are taking active strides on fighting for climate justice every day. So um, in terms of the products that you make, what does that mean? Are we talking about recycled materials? Are they the soaps biodegradable? Um, uh, do you know the wipes disintegrate? How, how's that work? Yeah, great. So you got so much of that right. So, um, you know, from, from a product standpoint, we really focus on less impact, less waste, less materials. And so what that means for us is that we strive to make everything 100% recyclable or recycled. And our primary, primarily our source of ingredients is plant-based, which means we use the same uh, type of ingredients um, as our competitors, but we make them from plants, not petroleum. So, Allison, how do, from your businesses and your experience here over the last, with 7th Generation, during a pandemic, did people pivot more towards your types of eco-friendly products away from it? Because, boy, the pandemic and being shut in your home has really changed the way people consume various products. Yes, I will say it's been a wild ride. Um, so certainly through those early pandemic days, we saw a huge spike in our household cleaning products. Um, so cleaning sprays um, and paper products. Oh, yeah. and, and since then, I think along with the category, we've weathered you know, some pretty volatile demand spikes, just as consumers have normalized the amount of product that they have at home. But the thing that's been most interesting for us in this is the fact that through this time, um, more and more consumers say that they are interested in environmentally friendly products. But what we've seen in practicality um, is that it's been harder for them to purchase it. So I think real life challenges like uh, supply availability, um, financial challenges, you know, folks have a lot of things on their plate these days. And so I think really making sure that we're closing that gap between intention and action has been the primary focus of our company. And what about the prices? I mean, obviously, inflation is the hottest issue right now. Um, you know, the uh, president's most recent 
climate bill is actually called the Inflation Reduction Act, just to show you how key (laughs) inflation is. Um, Have you seen your input costs rise? Are you able to keep margins at a steady level? Can you still compete on price with the non-plant-based kind of petroleum products, or can you even undercut them? Yeah, great. So what I will say is that we have not been immune to a lot of the challenges that we've seen in our categories and through our competitors. And so I think we've been weathering the inflation storm like many. Um, And as a result of that, actually, it's one of the things that I'm most proud about over the course of this year is that while we had to make a lot of hard choices about our business model, I think the one thing that we have not done is taking the quality out of our product. And so we've ensured that we're continuing to invest in plant-based products. We've continued to make sure that we're investing in 100% recycled materials to make sure that we're really living through on the promise that we're creating for consumers that, you know, they're really clear on what they're getting when they buy into the company and the brand. So, Allison, Matt was uh, mentioning the Inflation Reduction Act, and some folks are saying this is a historic move in climate justice. Do you buy into that, or what do you make of it? Yeah, well, first of all, this is a super, you know, super exciting time for us. Um, So I want to start with the fact that, you know, we're about to approve almost $400 billion to be allocated for climate change and energy efforts within our country, which is absolutely remarkable, right? So we've been in this work for a long time, alongside with the frontline communities and our partners. And so this is a historic step in the climate fight, especially with the fact now that we have a real path to reducing carbon emissions by 40% by 2030. Um, That said, I think- 40% from um, like 1990 levels, right? (laughs) That's right. But, you know, progress, progress, progress is what I would say. And so, um, you know, for us, the Climate Reduction Act, you know, while it's a great step forward, it's not climate justice in the fact that it still allows drilling for fossil fuels to happen, period. Right. So we're continuing to put marginalized communities in places of drilling at risk. um, And we're asking. But wouldn't those communities communities also be at risk if they had to pay like six dollars a gallon for gas? I mean, they'd be stuck, wouldn't be able to get to work or school. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously there's an argument on, on either side of this, but I well, think, we've seen it play um, out and no. we've seen it play out in real life as gas prices have soared. Um, the low income communities have been the worst affected. They can't afford to put food on their table or, or drive to work and back. So you got to choose between that and drilling, right? Yeah. And I, I guess we, we choose to see a world um, where you don't have to compromise the short term and the long term. And I think, you know, the big picture for us around the IRA is that this is a huge step forward. But as simply as I can put it, it's, it's about filling up a balloon that still has a little bit of leak. Right. So there's continued work that needs to happen on the other side of that. And we're just here to, you know, to make sure that we're continuing to, to rally um, the, the U.S. around the fact that the climate work will continue and and protecting our communities who continue to be at climate risk is a key priority for this company. All right, Allison, good stuff. We really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Allison Reitner, CEO of 7th Generation, making some eco-friendly consumer products. They're uh, owned by Unilever, which is a little bit of they a have ben consumer products. They-, they have everything. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th. 
a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.